Hi everybody, I'm Lauren Marie Taylor and I am the host and creator of the Not The Final Girl podcast. And my first guest is actually the dude who did me in, Warrington Gillette, Jason from part two. But before I do that, I actually have to wash our puppy because he rolled in bear poop when we took him for a walk. So I'll be right back. Yeah, gotta do it. I'm on here. There you are. Oh my God. Man, I was giving up. Well, I had to reinstall the damn uh, software because I don't really go on this thing. But anyway, I reinstalled it and then I had it on my, my dock and then I just went in that way. Well, who knows? Well, I'm on here now, and that's that. <laughs> it's great to see you, man. I can't believe you're doing this, but anyway, uh, I'm here. And we have this uh, big reunion soiree going. At the plaza. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, we've seen each other several times over the past couple of years, but with the 40th anniversary, it's just huge what's going on. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's shocking that... Uh, the brand has such a following, and they and the fans love the ones in the beginning. They think we're more real, more scary. You're telling a story from the beginning. Absolutely. It's a more impactful than trying to tell a story in part 9, 10, 11. You know, the story, and there are many, many of these fans that, that come up to you. They're seeing it for the first time mm-hmm. because they got their DVD box set. They released it. They're not going to the theater. They're seeing it at home for the first time. That's right. It's a right. different generation. Kids and families all somehow, some way, they all identify with the character. Whether he's a, a sympathetic, vigilante hero, somehow, some way. And that, that has propelled the brand. And I make the character come back to life in my promos. He's all over the place. Listen, he's dude. Jumping off, he's jumping off shit. He's going in the water. He's upside down. He's flying through the air he's underwater whoever walked filled him underwater walking <laughs> underwater on the bottom of the lake here he comes here he comes then he comes out i've had a great time trying to make him come back to life now so i got a question are you really water skiing in those promos that you do yeah, they're all my shots hell yeah what do you think all my shots you see my face and then i had a gopro on my chest Jeez. so then when i wipe out at 35 or 40 interesting perspective then you picked up the ski and you're like what how do you get a ski and the next thing you know i'm somersaulting on the water so now he is underwater those are my underwater shots all right how many times have you wiped out what about what uh skiing no not water skiing doing the promos i would say a lot of them and then the first one i did was really threw me off because i was trying to ski one-handed with a machete in the other hand and then in the beginning i was planning a wipeout right in front of the camera and in my lifetime, I have never intentionally fallen. No, because when you fall, it does not feel good. I mean, you're hitting the water. Water's hard. Somehow, I still held on the machete. It was obviously it was a, it was it looked plenty real, but somehow it was still in my hand after the crash. And then you see the hand sticking up with the machete. But I have never thrown myself down on purpose to jack yourself so hard you're gonna flip over on the damn water. The last time I fell. I did fall a couple times because I was trying to adjust the mask so I could maybe ski, revealing my identity. That threw my whole balance off, and then I'm somersaulting on the water. I was not happy, and I said, you know, I, I can't be doing this. I'm, you know, 
I can't be doing this. And then I realized it's very hard at 35 or 40 to hold a flag at the bottom of the pole. You got to hold it in the middle. <laughs> it's in the middle. And then you got the bar on the other hand. Yeah, yeah. And I had two cameras going. I do all this for fun. So I got a guy shooting off the back of the boat. I got the GoPro on my chest, which now they're pretty good. They're, they can go down. Mike can go down 100 feet of water. That's unbelievable. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. So it's all pretty cool. Yeah. And then it's kind of fun for me because then I make them. And then I try to make it as a gift to the promoter of the event by saying, oh, gee, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also I, I will say the fans just absolutely go berserk over these things uh, because most of the time you're in the full Jason regalia with the plaid shirt and the overalls. But this one in particular was different because you were shirtless and you had the um, the overall oh, no, shorts I, on. I almost I laughed out loud. I think I scared my dogs out of the room when I laughed. I thought I'd lose the lumberjack shirt. Enough's <laughs> enough. Let's get the shirt off and let's get down to it. And you know what was really upsetting? And it's strange that it hit the number. But I was rocked pretty hard at the loss of our people in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. How sad was that? Absolutely. It was 13. How the hell did it fall on 13? Yeah. Oh, my God. That 20-year-old kids and that beautiful young girl holding the child. Ah. So then I said to myself, you know, oh, yeah, we're all running around doing a convention. But look at the the loss of, of and I can't even put myself in the shoes of the family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, think about it, too. Uh, when we did we did this movie 40 years ago, did you have any idea how big it would be 40 years later? I mean, I know my, my brain is always blown. We had no idea the legs of the brand. And then you start introducing all the merchandising and the toys mm -hmm. and then the continuing progress. I never discussed it. I swear to you, I didn't talk about it for five, six, seven years. I'm beating feet on Wall Street. And I'm going, what? And, you know, then. They started doing articles. Well, where are all the Jasons today? Yeah. As they got up to part seven or eight. And like, I didn't even discuss it. I didn't even discuss it. So then they contact me. Well, where are all the Jasons? Oh, well, this one is uh, from a nightclub, CJ Graham, and he's doing this. Another guy's doing this. And, oh, we got Warrington. He's down at Wall Street, <laughs> you know, with his machete. They had me with a picture of a machete coming out of stock exchange. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? I mean... I'd have maybe put that up on my site, but they were doing stories. Where are the Jasons today? Because the brand was then such depth. We were on Good Morning America, so I might get that clip. CJ Graham and I, that would be funny to put it on. Oh, that, that would be great. The, that would be like by part eight. Then the thing keeps <laughs> going, keeps going. And then by 10, they're getting tired of Kane Hodder's act. So <laughs> a, a big buffed, uh, buffed uh, Canadian stunt guy. Ken Kersinger. Oh, yeah. Then they got tired of him. And then they go with, uh, you know, another kick-ass stunt guy. Biggest and toughest of them all. Okay. Uh, Derek Mears. Oh, yeah. Of them all, he's pretty badass. Yeah, yeah. And then, I don't know what happened now. It's kind of on, well, now they've resolved the issue with, uh, with Victor Miller. They're going to go through the castings thing and try to get some big, tall, buff dude. You know, they're gonna, if they don't use Derek again, he'll be a seven-footer. But they ought to get creative with the story, you know. Like, I don't know. Go back. To, I wish they'd go back to the beginning and then put a lot of the beginning people in the next one. How tall are you? I'm six one. So are you considered one of the shorter Jasons? No, I would say... I know. mean, six one is not, not too shabby. 
But I he, don't know how big some of the other guys were. I'm bigger and stronger than Richard Booker was. <laughs> He's part three. You know, I mean, I forgot who's part four, but you start getting these other guys. Yeah, I guess Kane was the beginning of it. Oh, but CJ was of the biggest of, a, of most of yeah, them. Yeah, CJ is a tall guy. I mean, Kane, I don't think he's very tall. I think you might be taller than Kane, actually. I think he might be hovering yeah. on, right at six feet, maybe a little bit under. Yeah. They, they can't get believe it. They go, well, how old are you? I go, well, you know, I don't know. Well, people, you just can't understand it. How old were you? Because, like, if it come out in the mid early mid-80s, I always say, when did it come out? I go, I don't know. It could be like 85, 86. <laughs> I'm pushing it along because, of, okay, but come out in 82. How old were you then? I don't know. Yeah, people always say, how old were you when you shot the movie? I'm like, no, 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 no I'm not going to go there. I mean, if do you wish before you did Friday the 13th, before you did ours, part two, is there anything you wish you had known before we started filming? <sighs> I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really know. I mean, to keep in mind, the character never really came to life before. Then we started filming. They were figuring out as they went. They didn't really know how he was going to look. So you did have Carl Fullerton kind of, you know, experimenting with his look. Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I can show you a picture. I don't know if you can see it, but um, I took this with my camera and this was you in the makeup chair in the early, yeah, yeah. early stages. You see that? Yeah, that's crazy. See, he didn't really know. Look how young he looks there. Oh, God. Yeah, so this is... Ah, no. Ah, where is he? Ah. He's on the other side. He's yeah, he's over line. here. That's yeah, Carl, there. yeah. That's Carl there. But isn't he's that crazy? protege, but to think he creates that image and fans are still talking about it. Well, you were the first time that we actually saw Jason as not a child, the sackhead. And that's huge uh, for you. That you were the first time we ever saw, and it's the first time we ever saw his face. Is it the only time we ever saw his face, or did they show it in subsequent movies? No, that's probably the only time. Unbelievable. How long were you in the makeup chair for? Seven hours. (sighs) Yeah, and Amy Steele was smart, because she didn't see any of it until, you know, he blasted through the window. I didn't know that. that. So that was, of course, she was horrified. She was smart. She waited to see it then. So her reaction was completely real. And you have to also respect this of all the hoopla and all the yapping going back and forth. You can research this. But about three years ago, four years ago, the Academy Awards did a tribute to horror films. And they give me an award as the best scene ever made in a horror film. And we were back in Vegas. And then I got this whole award, this gold thing, this this, uh, iconic thing. So that's pretty remarkable. If our film has the best scene ever made in a horror film. And that could have encompassed 30, 40 years if, it, if they gave the award three years ago. That's pretty cool. And that's got the Hurricane Otter because think of all the scenes he did underwater and put them on fire. And that had an urchin. He comes to my table and he's always spraying noxious stink bombs to try to get people to leave my table. And I get angry because at some point it's not fun. Do you really, does it really piss you off? Yeah, because it smells horrific. I've been lucky enough. I've been at tables at conventions next to him, and he's never done it to me. But uh, that's probably because he sees me with my pepper spray. And he knows if he goes after me with that fart machine of his, I'll pepper spray his ass. You know, it's not like he's competitive with me because he is what he is. We're all doing our thing. And when somebody comes to me, 
They get something signed. Well, they go around the room, get everybody else to sign it. But if somebody signs a machete, well, they didn't want him to sign it, CJ to sign it. It's all ridiculous. So he's got to stop that. <laughs> you guys got to duke it out, man. You got to duke it out. So Warrington. Yeah, I, get, I get in the ring with him. He's getting old, man. <laughs> he is. He's not training every night. I train every day. You train for what? How many hours a day? Two hours a day, yeah? Me? Yeah. Minimum two, three hours, three hours. And then on my off nights, I'm running 10Ks. That's why I can do a face plant going 35 or 40 on the water, and I'm going to recover. <laughs> it's and, not good. Yeah, and you still retain your look, so it's all good. Yeah. yeah. Hey. <laughs> you know, you don't want to break your neck. You know what's interesting? I never really thought about it, but... When you hit a wake and you go back the other way, if you go 35 or 40 into the turn, you know how fast you're going when you're getting whipped across 60, 70? Yeah, my coach, this guy was telling me he broke like three, four ribs. I don't know how you do it, man. Very much faster because basically these guys are trying to go through a slalom course. Right now, I just ski for fun and and have wrecks for fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I And now I'm... I've been skiing with a mask, skiing with a flag, skiing with a machete, because I'm trying to bring Crystal Lake back. How'd you like the scene in the canoe? He's underwater. Next thing you know, he's in the canoe. (laughs) You know, the underwater stuff is amazing to me because I don't know how long you're down there, but it looks like you're down there for a while. Like, and it looks like you're being washed around. Like you're in the middle of a washing machine. Is that heavily edited? (laughs) No, it's down there. It's really down there. Down there. And then I would put a camera before on the end of a pole. Then the pole goes down at the bottom of the lake. And then that's filming him walking. So I'm filming myself walking myself. But the racks are all underwater. And then I jumped off this this dock. You see him go down under the water. And then I'm laying down. One thing that was interesting, I was laying on the bottom of the lake with the camera trying to film the sun and all the rays glistening through the water. And then when I got to the point I couldn't hold my breath anymore, I realized I couldn't swim. I was like, no, oh, no. Oh, no. Because I had boots on. And then if you have denim coveralls, that's like 60 pounds. Yeah. I had 60 pounds holding me on the bottom and boots. And I said, no, this is not good. I can't swim. <laughs> I'm like, doing all this stuff. God damn. Like, I was running out of air thinking I'd swim right up. Very hard to get up on a slalom ski. And, and uh, X sixty extra pounds. Not no, that's not good. No, not that's good. That's why at all. I cut them off. You see, now I got shorts on. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get Jason in some shorts and boots. <laughs> okay, so I got to ask you. Going back to yeah. the actual movie, um, why did you kill me? Was it really uh, the brown undies? Come on. <laughs> I don't know. It just happened. It wasn't anything that was thought about. It wasn't the brown undies. You weren't pissed that I changed into those. No, I think you should uh, keep them on. <laughs> the brown undies. Bring them to Vegas, honey. Uh, I Actually, I am. Oh, good. I'm bringing them to Vegas, baby, for a photo op. Yeah. I don't think Jason was thinking too much. He was, like, just reacting. Whoever was in his path got whacked. It wasn't a whole methodical conjuring. He's getting, he's just getting revenge for mommy. Okay, so um, part of this podcast, I have a little thing called the categories, right? So the first category is called Stop the Movie. So when you watch anything that you've done, 
whether it's your movies, uh, TV, whatever, even your um, your promos, is there ever a cringe-worthy moment where you just go, "Oh, stop the movie, stop this, I can't watch this anymore"? Oh, <laughs> I just don't know because the whole thing was just so absurd, and he's doing this and doing that, and I I don't know, I don't know. I think the, the impaling the kids in the bed and they're having sex that was like, oh, this is terrible. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely no. bad. Yeah. Amy getting scared and peeing on the floor. Oh, no. Like, you got to stop this. <laughs> Good one. Okay, next one is the uh, who are all these people? So when you went to your first convention, what was your reaction? I was shocked because uh, I'd never seen it before. So I was, I was shocked. I was flattered. I couldn't believe it. And then, uh, you know, you know, how they... Of the fans are so nice, so supportive, and they want. I suppose when they get an autograph, they're getting a piece of you. It's sort of a connection, mm-hmm. whether it's in the music world, acting world, uh, whatever world that they like. Then they feel as though they're getting part of you. That's that's what it's about. And mm-hmm. then they share a moment with you, ask you a few questions, and they have a connection with you. Yeah, I get that. So, uh, okay, next one is called the uh, "What is this." So what is the strangest thing, not that you've brought to a convention, but that a fan brought to you to sign? What's the weirdest thing you've ever been asked well, to sign? Well, I would say uh, uh, a lovely tit that just got whipped out, and uh, ah! she wanted me to sign it. And I was like, yeah, okay, uh, put it out here then. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm shocked, you know, because... I haven't autographed a boob before. <laughs> yeah, you're still remembering that. I can see it in your face. People have brought, like, paddles. They've brought uh, water from the lake and a bottle. Uh, someone brought the whole window pane about six feet high. Really? To sign the window panes to, to, to uh, simulate the windows of the house. Wow. <laughs> people, you're going to see in Vegas, they're going to bring stuff. And some people come with, like, a hundred items. That's crazy. All right, the next one, I call it my uh, Annie Wilkes. I'm your number one fan from Misery. Uh, when you've gone to a convention, I know we look through the list of people who are going. Has there ever been anybody that you've seen on the list that you're fanboying about? Like, oh my God, I can't believe she's here or, or he's here. I, I got to go to that room and meet this person. Has there ever been anybody like that for you? I'd have to say Freddy Krueger because, you know, I mean, that, that's a great thing. And, and, and he has such an, uh, an impression on people. So if Robert England comes somewhere, I, I was kind of impressed when I was sort of had the opportunity to come meet. I was also pretty impressed. Gene Simmons, he's had such a stellar career. I, I was like, oh, my God. Now I'm hanging with Gene Simmons. I was like, wow. Yeah, that's cool. Definitely cool. All right. And, and then, you know, one time I worked next to... Uh, uh, the one Swedish woman that had three Bond pictures. Octopussy. Oh, what's her name? Maud Adams. Oh, oh my God. So I've always been a big fan of Maud Adams, and I found it shocking. I'm working with her for three days next to her. You must have been, your knees must have I been think knocking. I'm the only actress to ever do three Bond pictures. Yeah. As, as the babe. Yeah, pretty incredible run. Swedish. All right. How about my next category is I would watch it again and again. Do you have a favorite horror movie or thriller? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, 
I don't know. Some of the early days ones were pretty powerful. Some of the early Hitchcock ones and mm-hmm. Psycho and the Birds. Mm-hmm. And some of the modern day ones for me could have gone more to Silence and the Lambs because, uh, you know, Anthony Hopkins is so powerful. I don't know. He, then if you get into a horror, scary flick, The Exorcist is major because it's dealing with so many elements. And, and I do see Linda Blair all the time. She's very popular. You know, she did such an amazing job, and i, I it's just so powerful. But, I mean, it, look, that's falling in the top top five of all time. So in yeah. terms of being, um, if you were to play an iconic role in one of those flicks, which one would you play? Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. That Anthony Hopkins role, pretty bizarre, pretty powerful. Come on. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to try to tackle my uh, role of myself in the bloody social story. So that's going to be pretty fun. And now I'm already making headway with people that want to back it. In terms of bloody social, what was the whole premise behind it? Yeah, well, the premise behind it was that you get the phone call uh, one day when you lose a parent. And they try to give me the phone call, tell me my father had lunch and dropped dead on Friday the 13th. Mm. So, of course, I'm going to respond by saying, well, what was in the damn lunch? Oh, he had lunch and dropped dead, right. So he's dead at 2.30 after lunch, and, and he called 911 at 9.30. So make a long story short, how in the world could this happen on Friday the 13th? That's strange. Very strange. Now, the, the whole premise of Friday the 13th brand is, is revenge of the death of the mother. So let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's take a basic foundation of storytelling, mm-hmm. use the sudden mysterious death of your father, and use that as a story and make him a, a, a Shakespearean Hamlet character on a mission of revenge over the death of the father. So it was inspired by the sudden mysterious death of the father, Friday 13th. Mm-hmm. So now create a dramatic thriller where you have a sympathetic vigilante that you, the viewer, will root for. And, and today, there must be a, a message. You must, and it must be uh, relevant mm-hmm. to the time. Mm-hmm. So what is the message of the film? So it has to resonate with the, where people's minds are today. You've got your foundation of storytelling. Yes, there are going to be some bizarre issues. Yes, he's getting revenge for his father. Yes, the conspirators are going to get whacked. And yes, the Black Widow, who did whack him, she's going to get whacked. And there's a zero tolerance in America today for many issues. So that's the issues here. Jason is going to be a likable guy and zero tolerance Wow. in this society of of, um, America's super rich. So I always say, you know, in this town where where the blackest hearts thrive and the beautiful blue waters of the Atlantic and the white sandy beaches are about to run blood red. (laughs) So get on board, baby. And you also wrote the music too, didn't you? Um, When I watched the trailers. I wrote all the lyrics and I started writing she killed my daddy. Now it's time to pay. Yeah, I heard them. I mean, what was that and like to do that? People singing tomorrow. I'm in Half Moon Studios with Emilio Estefan, who's had over 18 Grammy winners. He's Cuban. Huge success. Gloria, mm-hmm. she's a huge success. So now I'm going to tell him, yeah, you know, Emilio, I'm also making this movie and I could have some help with the music. I need some help. <laughs> So he'll have my other card, Warrington Productions. But anyhow, yes, that's the inspiration of it. 
I know it can be successful, and we're all part of the Friday 13th brand, Mm -hmm. and those fans are so damn supportive. They had me in a panel discussion once, and it ended up me being alone, which was unusual because other folks couldn't attend. Yeah. Now I'm alone in a room with hundreds of people, and I got to entertain them, and they always ask you the same underlying question. What are you working on now? That opens the door to have a hysterical conversation, involve the audience, they're screaming, laughing, and being so supportive and saying, make it, make it. I mean, it sounds great, and I love the trailer. I, I shoot with no film permit, no nothing. And it's all <laughs> one take. You better get it done in one take because you're about to get kicked out of wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm shooting that a lot of the yapping in front of the fountain, like, why am I doing this? Why? The next thing I do is I'm going to put together a cup, a trailer with some pieces mm-hmm. of the film. Yes. Try and reenact that. That would be awesome. Have you thought about casting at all or, you know, dr- well, a dream cast? I know. It's funny. I went to this party. Do you and, want Sharon you know, Stone in it? <laughs> yeah, I, I want to get her to play. And I figured out how much money it would take to attach her. <laughs> if you could attach her to play the Black Widow of Palm Beach, fantastic. Yeah. Everybody knows her. I need a 55-year-old woman. She takes the young Latin lover, the 25-year-old Antonio Banderas type of Latin. Stud Ooh, la, la. <laughs> you gotta get you the script. So she falls in love with the young Latin stud who's trying to trade up socially. And of course, then you have no time left for your aging husband. So you whack him. You give him a little Oleander cocktail. And for those of you and your viewers that don't know, Oleander is against the law in California. It's a very uh, toxic flower. Mm-hmm. That's why it's on those little pink petals or on the graphic mm-hmm. on the website. Okay. If you in- if you ingest it, it'll give you immediate heart attack. Ooh. Then you look at your husband and wonder, well, honey, why are you on the floor? Because oh. you just gave him an oleander cocktail. That's why. Wow. And then, then you're like, oh, Lord. Then you give some hours to go by. Don't call 911 for a while. Make sure he's really dead. Then call 911. Oh, I don't know what happened. My husband, he had a drink and he had a heart attack. Oh, wow. Well, what was in the drink? Anyhow, so the fans are behind us. We got to make it happen. Yeah. I got some key meetings in Vegas. We'll all be there. I got two guys that are talking about giving me the money. And I've tested the script. A lot of people read the script, think it's incredible. I got to read it, man. I got to read it. You've been talking and about you're it. You're very smart, so you can give some ideas how to make it better. Yeah, that's right. It, it's very hard for you to all of a sudden try to tell a story in pictures, which is what a screenplay is. And now I'm assuming all these characters and the conversations that all these wide range of characters would have. I have a love witch in it. I've got all these crazy people. It's very bizarre. It's it's Albert Hitchcock meets Quentin Tarantino <laughs> and Jason in Palm Beach. <laughs> it sounds great, man. <laughs> got to get that out there. All right, listen, speaking of fans, I do have a few questions from our Instagram community. And the first up is from uh, Robbie Vegas, and he's the host of the All Bets Are Off podcast. And he says, or asks, When looking back at the franchise, do you feel that you should have continued to play Jason? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But, you know, again, I I didn't really know. I was very young. He's not saying so much. He's just stomping around whacking people. But I I would have liked to have done another one. That would have been cool. Do part three. I don't know. 
Yeah, give him some dialogue, man. Give him yeah, some words yeah, to say. Open that warped mouth. I hope they bring me back if they do another one. Maybe let me, you know, let me do something. Great. But, you know, listen, life comes and it comes and, and then you're constantly forced there, Robbie, to rediscover yourself. So maybe it was in my fate and destiny and journey to rediscover myself to be able to do other things. Okay, next one is from Anthony Andrus, and he's also known as Big Dumb Dope on Instagram. <laughs> and, All right. <laughs> I know, I like that, right? And he says, <clears throat> you better answer this correctly. Who were your best friends on set? Oh. I got a picture oh. of us, baby. I'll get it out right now. <laughs> oh, well, I, we, we had a little connection, you and I. And of course, we were really going through the process of being at Camp Crystal Lake. And then uh, Kristen Baker, mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah. some of the guys were tough to get to, but, you know, it is what it is. And Russell Todd was the handsome Zoli model there, so he was the handsome guy on the set. I it's don't like, know. I don't. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I did have a crush on you when we were when we were there. Oh, oh I had my heart be still. Look, my cheeks are getting redder by the minute. Oh, well, I never <laughs> knew. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good to know. Okay, I've got one more, and it's from Aaron one more Reed. I could have dinner. Oh, in Vegas, baby. Yeah, baby. Well, we'll have one more question and then I'll have dinner. All right. Uh, okay. The next one is, uh, the last one is from Aaron Reed and he's on Instagram and his handle is Aaron's Movies 8587. And he wanted to know, why did you take a break from acting after Time Walker and then decide to act again years later? <laughs> well, the, number one, you know, you're living in LA, you're living in Hollywood. I was living actually out in Malibu. And you're just driving around, driving around. You got your eight by ten. You're picturing your resume. And you're trying to get parts. And I'm reading. You wouldn't believe the things I read for. I'm reading for Blue Lagoon. Hello, Randy Kleiser directed it. My friend Chris Atkins get the part. Oh yeah. Then I'm reading for Endless Love. Oh yeah. Martin Hewitt gets the part. Zeffirelli. Uh, uh, Zeffirelli. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. I forgot. He was parking cars in the valley. I kept reading for stuff. Reading for stuff. Reading for stuff. And then sooner or later, you got to figure out, you know what? I, I ended up going back east to do something. Then I was in Monte Carlo and a very powerful Middle Eastern investment group hired. I took the job and yeah. that propelled me into a career, real estate, then Wall Street later to get licensed in security. So listen, that's why I have the experience to have a conversation tomorrow about a $400 million real estate development. I put a picture on Instagram in a blue suit saying, hey, I'm working on a mega project downtown Miami. This could be mega. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of fun. Now you got a character guy. I guess I'm middle-aged. I hate to admit it because <laughs> I live in denial. But one minute he's got a blue suit on, and I'm talking to developers, and then maybe big people in New York to figure out how to get a construction loan to put something like this up. And then the next minute you're water skiing and coveralls and blah, blah you know, <laughs> and then you're heading to Vegas. So... It is a multi-dimensional uh, life I have. Yeah. So to answer the first question there, Aaron Reed, you know, you can't get stuck in life. So if you feel the going's getting tough and you just try to reinvent yourself and force yourself to do something else and then come back to it. And you know what? If I get this movie off the ground, how cool would that be? Produce it and absolutely be in it. 
which, by the way, is I could talk to you all night, but that's what Stallone did, by the way, with Rock. He wrote it, and then he gives it to the people uh, to package it, and he says, it's my project, I created it, and I want to play myself. And they're like, what, what, what? So to me, that would be a huge win in life, to make your own piece of art. That would be fantastic. Sounds like a great motto to live by. Create a piece of art. That's your life. Put the art on the canvas. Whether it's Jackson Pollock style or whether you're a a Basquiat and put that on the canvas. Tell the story. Make it happen. All right, right. Warrington. I'm going to let you go because I know you got to eat dinner. All right. And I'll see you in Vegas. See you in Vegas, baby. Thank you so much for being here. All right. Big kiss to you. And thank you for having me on your uh, podcast. And please tell your followers. They can talk to me on my Instagram. Yes. And and they can look at at the promo film we've been talking about. So Instagram, um, what's your Instagram handle? Where can people find you? Well, Jason to Warrington. Mm -hmm. So if you go Jason to number two, Warrington, you'll see me pop up. Okay, and your websites? Well, the website's the name of the movie. That's pretty easy, bloodysocialmovie.com. Excellent, baby. com, And you can email me if you want to be a partner, you want to own a piece of the action, let me know. All right, see you in Vegas. Love you. And I want to get a picture with the brown underwear. Oh, you will, and you won't have to pay for it either. Thank you so much for tuning in to the very first episode of the Not the Final Girl podcast. Warrington and I actually did a full length Zoom interview, and I'll be letting you know in the future where you'll be able to find it. You can also look for more information about our guests at notthefinalgirl.com. Follow me on Instagram at Lauren Marie Taylor One, and that's the number one behind my name. Take care, keep your doors locked, and stay out of the woods. Bye.